The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. And by Intera, Geoscience and Engineering Solutions. This is Session 184. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Well, hello, and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey, and thank you for joining me. And of course, I hope everyone is doing well and uh, is safe and healthy amidst the pandemic we're all experiencing right now. Today, we're speaking with uh, veteran LATAM water executive Shimon Constante. Shimon provides an overview of LATAM water markets, explores a little history of LATAM, and then focuses on some recent Brazilian legislation aimed at increasing water infrastructure investment in Brazil. You're really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Shimon is just steeped in knowledge of the Latin American water markets with our particular focus on Brazil. So this is going to be, uh, it, it, this is really uh, uh, top of the top notch content coming from Shimon. But before we get to Shimon, I'd like to give another hearty thank you to our sponsors, Again, those sponsors are Xylem, the American Water Works Association, CanDo, Woodard and & Curran, and Intera. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you could, please. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss, thank your contact at that sponsor firm, and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. It really helps uh, bring you uh, what I what I hope you find to be uh, valuable water thought leadership and valuable water education for the industry. And again, you'd be surprised how just that simple note of thanks, how far that goes. Uh, and as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of the water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. That would be greatly appreciated and, of course, will help others find out about the podcast. Now it's on to our featured guest again, Shimon Constante, veteran LATAM water executive. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Shimon, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. A great pleasure to be part of this uh, podcast. Yeah, it's it's terrific to have you on. And, and like one of our recent guests, you are in Israel. And so I appreciate you making time on uh this um uh you know the, the with the significant time difference we're experiencing so again thank you so much for coming on um ironically because you are in israel but we're the, what we're going to talk today is more uh half a world away right in in south america so before we get into that though i would love for you to uh give us a little little bit on who you are what your background is and how you came to the water sector Sure, sure. So uh, that's true. We are going to be speaking about a totally different area than uh, Israel or the Middle East. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I actually, I always say that I have two reincarnations. 
the first one is uh, many years of uh, technology companies, high tech, uh, innovation uh, in many uh, areas from uh, mobile security to mobile payments, uh, media, online, and so forth. And the second uh, reincarnation that I always say is uh, for the past uh, more than 10 years now, I've been uh, working for uh, the infrastructure and specifically speaking, the water infrastructure um, industry. Uh, I've been uh, the CEO for uh, Mia Water uh, Brazilian operation and uh, general manager for the, the entire Latin America operations overseeing uh, operations in Puerto Rico, uh, Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil principally. So I've spent uh, six years living in Brazil. And, uh, and for the past uh, year and a half or two, I've been uh, bouncing back uh, two weeks in Brazil, two weeks in Israel. Uh, so my main uh, region of activity, I would say, is Latin America. And uh, within Latin America, Brazil would be definitely uh, the main country of, uh, of action, and especially these days, which, which we are going to be speaking probably in the next uh, few minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I w- first off, I wish I could have your frequent flyer miles. I don't know that I'd want to travel that much. So kudos to you for, for uh, going, you know, being being that dedicated to your, the, the water sector. Um, I, I think it would be very helpful uh, to get kind of your to have you explain or at least give us a framework for the Latin America water sector. Sure. I think the Latin American market has been going through like, like always in many other sectors, ups and downs in, in the sense of, um, I think one of the most interesting things for me, at least uh, looking at the Latin American market in the water uh, sector, specifically speaking uh, is the great need. So we're talking about a region, and when I say Latin America, obviously many people would say, oh, wait, don't compare South America with uh, North uh, Latin America, which uh, if you look at it, and I know um, uh, Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of uh, the U.S., but it, it, indeed in many aspects and culturally speaking, uh, it does, uh, from my perspective, uh, makes part of the Latin American Market. So if you really look from Puerto Rico all the way down to Argentina, um, you see a huge need for uh, water distribution. So many, many countries still do not have uh, 100% coverage uh, in water. And when you look at sewage, which is now turning uh, a very important uh, factor in uh, water utilities, you also see a very, very low uh, coverage of, of sewage, and we're talking about in certain cases um, below the 40%. Uh, so that's on one hand, which I think uh, makes uh, Latin America very interesting. On the other hand, uh, um, in some regions, interestingly enough, uh, you would have uh, supposedly a lot of availability of water. So if we look at uh, countries like Chile, or if we even look at uh, Great Sao Paulo, uh, you would never imagine that water would uh, be something of scarcity. And I remember speaking in 2015 in a conference in Chile, and the slide I opened the presentation with was um, the slide opening of uh, the movie Water World. 
don't know if you remember that movie, but yep. um, in, in that case, the water was ending in the world and you had only uh, so, uh, water from the sea. Uh, and I asked even in that conference, I said, 20 years ago when the movie came out, how many people of you would think that's something even possible uh, for, for a country like Chile? When you, where you have the Andes right, right near you and you have supposedly uh, infinite uh, water. Um, so uh, you start seeing countries facing scarcity while they never imagined they will have scarcity before. So the challenge, looking just uh, answering your question about Latin America in, in general, the challenge is uh, the existing infrastructure is not enough, first. Second, the existing infrastructure needs to be reshaped for the new um, challenges. So I'll give you just a quick example uh, of talking more about Brazil now. But uh, in Sao Paulo, uh, in 2015, they went through a very huge water crisis. And what the water utility had to do is to actually interconnect the different water resources they had which were never interconnected because they, they were sufficient for uh, distribution in different areas. So all of a sudden you see, okay, the, the infrastructure is, is, is okay in that case, but we need to interconnect it. So that requires a lot of investment as well. So I think that's that the infrastructure issue is one that is very interesting. Okay, the lack of uh, coverage is very interesting in Latin America. And the other thing is that Latin America has gone through many years of privatization versus public. And you see this dynamic happening all the way, as I said, from Puerto Rico down to Argentina and Chile, uh, the private sector coming in and you see companies like Veolia, companies like Suez, uh, taking over water utilities, concessioning out, and then all of a sudden getting out for political reasons. Um, this dynamic creates, on one hand, a huge opportunity, as we know, but on the other hand, uh, creates some risk, uh, which is not only the monetary, which we all know, already know, but it's the political risk. Is whether, when I win a concession of 30 years, will I be there in 30 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Shimon, you have raised a ton of issues in, in the framework, and I, I, I hope I can remember them all as we kind of progress through this, uh, this discussion we're having. Um, my, I guess my initial question uh, goes back to what you said initially. I mean, wh what do you – do you have any thoughts on why the coverage, the infrastructure coverage is, is you know, in some instances below 40%? Sure, sure. Um, the, main, the main reason for most of these countries, if you look at Mexico City, if you look at Sao Paulo, then the, and mainly the big ones, right, Lima, uh, is the growth of urbanizations. And as we see it worldwide, um, while these countries have huge areas uh, and they have rural areas that are really everywhere, I would say, uh, slowly with time the urban areas have, have increased in popularity, obviously due to the resources and everything that we already know when we deal with this kind of issues, but as opposed to, I would say, if you look at London or you look at Paris, this has happened in a very short time frame. So if you look at uh, cities like Mexico City and Sao Paulo, 100 years ago, 60 years ago, the population was a tenth. Uh, of what the, it is today in the, in, the, in the good case. Uh, 
Uh, in the worst case, it was 20 or 30, 30 uh, parts of that. So you have huge urbanization. There is no ability to speed up so much infrastructure investment in such a short period of time. And obviously the priorities of whether you actually put it in infrastructure or put it in something else. And I think this is the biggest challenge that uh, these uh, countries are facing and why we're seeing this lack of coverage. Uh, it's really a matter of, of ability to invest so much money in infrastructure. Yeah. You know, I guess from, from the way I've, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously biased with the way I've seen developments go in representing utilities in the U S but uh, it, it just seems that, that, you know, is this, is this kind of a regulation issue like building codes and things like that requiring water hookups and sanitation before you're allowed to live in there or, or is it just going so fast that the, the, the the regulatory bodies, the municipalities, or wh- whom have you, th- they just there's such a demand for that housing that they're just allowing the the housing to be built. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think it, it's it has a lot to do with regulation, not only the regulation of the urbanization and the let's call it the civil work, um, uh, but it's also the regulation from the water resource perspective. Uh, if you see what is happening in many countries today, if you look at Chile, for example, you look at uh, Brazil, you look at, uh, for example, Peru, uh, there is huge uh, change in the regulation of the water resources. These uh, organizations or, or body, or governmental bodies that were supposed to be regulating how the water is being distributed or how coverage is being uh, taken care of, have neglected it quite a lot uh, and not neglected from the point of view that they didn't know that this is happening um, and that there was kind of a missynchronization between the speed of urbanization versus the speed of coverage uh, but um, they kind of left it for uh, for either the private sector to do it uh, or just didn't have the, the, the structures well defined to be able to cover that that issues. So now what we're seeing, for example, the ANA, the, the National Agency of Water in, in Chile and in Brazil and in Peru, they're starting to integrate that. By the way, we have good good examples. And I know some people would say, no, you're, you're not really um, saying the full picture, but uh, we have good examples, I think, from my perspective, in Colombia, where they have very strong regulatory agencies with very clear frameworks uh, of how you expand, or even when you privatize, uh, what do you expect the private uh, sector to uh, bring to the table in the sense of uh, quality of service, the, the sense of tariff, and so forth. Um, so I think regulation is definitely something that uh, could be improved and is improving at the moment. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can learn in different countries from the good cases and not try to invent the wheel. I think what you're seeing in many countries is, uh, no, no, we will do it a little bit different, and then it ends up being a, a complicated uh, regulation that is hard to uh, to actually implement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a this is a fascinating discussion. I um, uh, let me let me take a little aside here. I, one of my one of my favorite podcasts is called the Revolutions Podcast, and and um, 
one of the one of the revolutions that they covered was essentially the the breaking away of uh, South America from Spanish rule, and you know they just tracked Simone de Bolivar going through this, and and one of the, and one of the concluding episodes they talked about the the shadow the long shadow that Simone de Bolivar uh, casts a, across South America, and I'm just kind of curious if if in in your experience in South America, if you can kind of see uh, that, you know, traces of that shadow within how the water utilities are, are governed and regulated and, and how things like that. I'm just kind of curious if you have any perspective on that. Well, thanks, David. You just entered actually one of my favorite, uh, my favorite discussions. Uh, I'm, I'm by myself a fanatic of history and specifically of history of uh, the Latin American countries. And uh, I, I've been reading for quite some time now different books about whether Simon Bolivar, San Martin, uh, and the rest. I, I definitely believe, uh, and this has nothing to do with water, but we'll get into water in a second, but I definitely be- believe there is something inherent in that dynamic of uh, being a con- conquested and the dynamic between the conqueror and the the regionals, I would say that, um, and how they treat resources in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't want to generalize. I think it's it's a little bit uh, bad to do that, but I definitely believe that looking at resources in general in in the Latin American countries, and I I hope nobody will get upset with me. There is um, a perspective of let me take it now because I don't know what will happen tomorrow. Um, and in, in that sense, I think uh, sometimes uh, governments and even the people themselves lack the long-term view. So let me use it now. Let me take whatever I can. Uh, and tomorrow is tomorrow. So I'll give you an example where you see that a lot. Uh, it's the regulation of uh, the wells. So in many countries in Latin America, a private hotel or private industry or even a private uh, person can go and dig a well and take as much water as it wants. In some cases like Mexico, you would need to pay for it to the regulatory body. Uh, But in some cases, you will need to notify them at least that you're doing that. Um, but in many cases in Latin America, you just uh, don't have to tell anybody or do anything. You just do it yourself and you take the water in the aquifer. Um, when you look at uh, cities like Mexico City, where the, the, the aquifers are totally dry and the city itself is actually falling apart or dropping in, in more than 20 meters from, from uh, um, empty aquifers, um, you understand that this is something that cannot be done. And this has to do with this, uh, you, you mentioned Simon Bolivar, so this has to do, I think, with this dynamic of, uh, I would say in a sense, opportunistic. Um, and I don't know if I answered exactly yeah. what you asked. I, I, that's my perspective. Yeah, I think I, that, that's 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 what I was looking for, is just is uh, your perspective on, on, on how... Cause, and I think that matches up with with what uh, you know what the Revolutions podcast was saying on 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 that in that it's uh, you know Simone Bolivar was uh, an interesting interesting guy and 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 you know he, 
I can't remember he, the host of the podcast used to just say, you know, Simone, if you had just stayed home, you know, rather than, than trekking back out on those last years of your life, you would have been okay. Um, in any event, that, that's, that's kind of the aside. Uh, one of the countries, Brazil, that you kind of mentioned earlier has, has recently adopted some legislation Can you, that is aiming, I think, to give more stability to the water sector. Um, and so could you give a little background on, on Brazil and it's the, the legislative process and kind of what this legislation does. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, definitely Brazil is going through a very interesting momentum, uh, in its history, specifically speaking about the, uh, I mean, in general privatization, but, uh, specifically you and I, and our interest in the water area, I think we're, we're getting into a moment that is really historical in the sense of for the first time, uh, everybody feels that the government, uh, the regulation bodies are looking at the water uh, problem. Uh, and some might, uh, some might say that uh, this is not the way it should be going, but uh, uh, I definitely think that for the first time, this uh, is something that is being taken care of as we said before from a regulatory perspective in trying to structure something that will allow on one hand the uh, private participation, but on the other hand, uh, satisfy the needs of the long-term population and the long-term investment plans. So to give you a sense, uh, Brazil today is missing, in order to get to 100% coverage in sewage and water, Brazil is missing somewhere around 800 billion real of investment. Um, give or take, you would talk about around 200 or 300 billion dollars. Um, as you know, in Brazil, it really depends if you, 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 you look at it today because the dollar rate can change dramatically the next day. Um, but that's give or take. The main changes that are being done at the moment are first um, structures to allow investments in water. That's the first thing. The second thing, what you have seen until today in the water sector, is that you have, uh, give or take, uh, seven, eight state-owned um, water utilities that are very strong, and they typically serve, first of all, the city, the main city of the state, but they also serve typically another, in the case of Sao Paulo, for example, around 300 other municipalities. And the way they serve these municipalities is that they just, let's put it that way, they went to those cities, those cities were in need, and they say, hey, why don't you uh, take over our water utility? Um, obviously, um, the, the challenge here is that uh, you, it's harder to invest in a rural area uh, and out of those 300 municipalities, probably only, I don't know what, 50 are interesting financially in a sense. So many of these cities are now in a situation where on, on one hand, they're kind of uh, imprisoned with a, 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 a contract which is, has not actually been signed officially uh, with a state-owned company. But on the other hand, they're not receiving the coverage, they're not receiving the investments. Um, so what the government has decided to do is to say, First of all, you, let's say, just for example, 
the water utility of Sao Paulo can no longer continue serving water to the cities around it if it doesn't have a contract. So that's one thing. The other thing, uh, the government is saying, in order for you to have this contract, you have to have a tender, uh, which is very different than what happened before. Uh, having a tender all of a sudden opens the door for many big uh, private water uh, concessionaires to enter into the game. So that's one thing that happened that is very interesting uh, because then you can actually privatize uh, or even do, you know, PPPs or long-term uh, administrative PPPs and so forth. So you can actually bring the private investment, which the government doesn't have, uh, but you also allow them to take certain municipalities or you allow the municipalities to be independent, which is very important. And the other thing that happened, which I think is important, obviously this, this new uh, law framework uh, is much wider and we can talk more about that, but I'll just try to give you kind of two important points, which I think are interesting. Uh, the second point is that uh, this, what everybody is scared of is that obviously the private uh, will go only to the meets and we leave the bone aside. So you would have out of those 300 municipalities, indeed only, let's say, 50 municipalities that will have, uh, will attract private investments, but the other 250 will, know, will not have an investment. So what the new regulatory framework has allowed for is to aggregate municipalities into one contract. So now you can aggregate, let's put it, 50% uh, municipalities that are in need but are not that interesting financially, quote-unquote, uh, with another 50% that are very interesting financially, and then together go as one body to seek for private investment. Um, that changed the entire dynamic of the market, and this is the reason why so many international and national players are now interested in the Brazilian market. Um, if we're looking uh, at a country that has more than 5,500 municipalities, if you ask me, my estimation is that at least 10% of those will be privatized in the next um, five years to 10 years. So <laughs> imagine a country where you would have 500 um, concessions coming out. Yeah. Are when you say privatized, just to, just so we're kind of on the same same wavelength, are you saying uh, a sale of the system? Are you saying uh, like a long term concession? Are you saying some or some other type of public private arrangement? Mainly, mainly uh, long term concessions. We're talking here about twenty five to thirty years concessions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, basically, there's still the. The, the, the utility asset itself stays in the hands of the municipality, uh, but it's being uh, concessioned out for 30 years. So that is the main structure that you see today coming out. In some cases, what you see is what you call administrative PPPs, which is in reality the, the difference between administrative and non-administrative is that in the administrative PPP, you are not the owner of the client. So you do not charge the client. So you would have the water utility charging the client, but you would have a PPP, for example, for efficiency or for a certain area. Uh, so you would bring the investments for that specific area that you're improving the efficiency for it. Um, you will do the investment in coverage and so forth. 
but the utility will pay you for that and you will not actually charge it from the user. So you will not be able to, for example, increase the tariff. Right. Um, so that's kind of the two ones that we're seeing today in the market. Okay. Well, I, I am curious on the ability to kind of scale multiple municipalities, multiple systems together. Is that is it voluntary for the municipalities to come to you? I mean, do they have to figure out their own, uh, you know, their, their own uh, coalition, so to speak, to, to go out to the tender? Or is it kind of, um, I don't want to say imposed or suggested, but is, is, I mean, is, uh, how, how does that work? Um, and, and I guess you have two dynamics. Okay. You, you have actually two dynamics. Uh, it, it's, it's a very good point, David. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, because that's, that's something that is a, of, of huge debate today in the, the government. And those that are opposing this uh, regulatory reform are actually saying, no, 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 you're still leaving the bone out. Um, so there are two ways. The, the first way is really a few municipalities coming in together and saying, okay, let's do this together. Um, and it does make sense in, in many aspects. You know, uh, uh, on, one, on one hand, we're looking at today decentralization. So it doesn't make sense, for example, to uh, build hundreds and thousands of kilometers of pipes, for example, for uh, sewage and have a huge central uh, sewage treatment plant uh, or water treatment plant and then having it distributed back and forth on the time. So you're seeing a tendency to decentralize, which in a sense you would say, okay, so each entity could actually stay by itself. There is no real value in, in gathering them together. Uh, on the other hand, there are many operational advantages in gathering together municipalities. Keep in mind, you will have many municipalities very close by that geographically or topologically, if you look at a map, you would say, well, it's, it's the same area, it's the same, I mean, there's not much difference. So it's just legally a different municipality. Um, so it does make sense operationally, and, and, and that's answering your, the, the first kind of question. The second is that in some cases what happens is that the state uh, is actually the one with trying, I'm, you use the word imposed, I don't want to say imposed, but they're trying to logically come up with the right structure for X amount of municipalities um, in order actually to make that mix, uh, to make sense. Um, and in, in rare cases, not rare, but I would say in some cases you would see the private sector uh, doing a process which is called the PMI, which is basically like a, a, a manifestation of interest, um, which they actually come and structure, okay, we think that this 10 together will make sense, and then they to go one by one and ask, are you guys willing to join forces for this? Um, so, but, but mainly the dynamic, I think it comes from bottom up. So you would see the municipalities themselves doing their analysis and, and joining forces. Awesome. So I've, I've got one more question before I ask you what your leave behind message is. And my, I guess my, my final substantive question is, uh, do you, do you kind of feel like this, you, you mentioned that, uh, Brazil is now open for, it's seen a lot of, uh, investment coming in. Um, or do you think the, the new law has, um, uh, you know, advantages for the incumbent water utilities or, I mean, is, is, is the opportunity for new players, 
uh, as significant as it is for for the incumbents? So I will categorically say that I think it's for the new players. I think the so so to so to say old players or or the state owned the public players are very scared now. Um, they're very scared for many senses. For example, if you look at uh, Sao Paulo Water Utility, all of a sudden they're afraid that they will need to tender out every every municipality they have. They will stay with much less assets. Um, so uh, I think for incumbent, I, th- I, I, I think there's going to be a challenge with bringing the international or the private investors uh, due to the political risk and the monetary risk. And now, when you say new versus old, uh, keep in mind that you have today, uh, I would say, six strong groups, among them BRK, which are owned by Brookfield, you have IGEA, um, you have uh, GSE NEMA, you have a few groups, strong groups, that are already holding assets in Brazil. Uh, so I don't see them as uh, new players, uh, but definitely they are fresher. Definitely they are, uh, I think, in a very good position to uh, take many new assets and really improve the quality of the service and the quality of water. Uh, just one statement that it's important for me to say for, for people to understand. I, I do not uh, claim by no way that the private sector is better than the public. I think Brazil has beautiful examples of public sector, and specifically speaking about Brazil. Um, but uh, indeed, uh, I think the public sector does not have the capability to make the investments that the private sec- that the, the population needs today, mainly when you look at coverage. Got it. I hope I answered the yeah. question and also added a little comment there. Oh, yeah. I, I think you've been great. And, and I have learned so much. And it's great to have uh, your perspective on, on the Latin American market and, and with some specific uh, discussion about Brazil. Uh, you know, is there a leave-behind message that you've got? You know, what what would you want the listener to walk away from after listening to this this discussion we've had? Sure. First of all, I think that the main message is uh, uh, there is a great opportunity. That, that, that's no doubt. In general, I think in Latin America, you have to have the stomach, no doubt. You have to look long term. And I will say this is, I say this to many companies that are, I'm consulting for and, and technology and, and concessionaires and so forth. I always say, do not look at Latin America if you want to uh, get in and get out very quickly. It's not a short-term game. So when you look at Latin America, regardless of which country it is, look long-term. There is an opportunity for long-term players. Um, And I think the other message that is important, specifically for for Brazil, um, look for the national uh, partner. So it will be much better for you to have a, a strong one. I'm not talking about the small national player, uh, Brazil is very complex also from a taxation perspective. It's a country with more than 70 uh, items of uh, taxation. Uh, so I say look for the local player to do a strategic partnership. You know, many, I, I, I see many, com- many companies coming from abroad and say, oh, okay, I'll take a little partner or subcontractor in Brazil and I will bring my methodology from outside. That typically doesn't work. 
in any of those countries. <clears throat> and so those are the two messages. I think uh, I think they, they cover the main points that I would like to send as a message. Awesome. Well, Shimon, you've been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate your time and, and especially staying up a little later than you might normally. Um, I guess you're not that far ahead of me, but, uh, uh, yeah. again, I, I, I appreciate all you've, you've done and, and helping us out, understand the, the Latin American water market for those folks who want to find out more about you, uh, and your work, where can they go to get that information? Oh, they can go to, um, uh, S C I I infra. Uh, the third I is the actual word infra.com. So S Shimon C. Constante E I I for innovation and I for infra.com. Awesome. Well, hey, Shimon, again, thank you so much. It was great speaking with you and look to hear from you soon. David, thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Yep. Amen. All right. Bye, Shimon. Bye bye. Well, what a terrific interview by Shimon. I mean, I, I really enjoyed speaking with him and learning from his years of experience in the Latin water sector. I found his insights uh, to give me a lot more perspective on how and why uh, markets have developed as they have. I think it was just exceptional insights uh, from Shimon on this episode, and I hope you found them useful as well. Well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. Tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter at the landing page on uh, where Bluefield Research is kind enough to host the uh, BR web host for uh, the Water Values podcast. You can also go to LinkedIn and uh, join the Water Values group. And that way you'll, you'll never miss uh, when an episode comes out. Of course, we very much appreciate you subscribing to the podcast on whatever directory you access your podcasts. And thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2021 include Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Can Do, Woodard and Curran, and Intera. Thank you so much to those sponsors for making the Water Values Podcast possible. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney client relationship with you or with anyone else additionally nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.